Good evening, uh, sisters and brothers. Please do have a seat. And could you please turn with me in your Bibles to page 669, page 669, uh, Ecclesiastes 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 8 to 14. Page 669, Ecclesiastes 12, uh, beginning from verse 8. And can I also ask uh, if you could pull out your white bulletin, uh, and if you could find the center page of that bulletin, the center page of the white bulletin, you'll see a sermon outline. Uh, it's got a few things there that I'm going to show you as we go along, so it'll be helpful to have that uh, open in front of you as well. Uh, so the center page of the bulletin and Ecclesiastes 12, beginning from verse 8. Got that all ready? And I will lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have been speaking to us by your Spirit, through your Word, as we've heard it read and sung uh, tonight. And Father, we pray now that as we come to this passage, as we come to think about the book of Ecclesiastes as a whole, um, uh, that you continue to speak to us uh, by your Spirit through this Word. Um, we ask that your Spirit will enable me to preach your Word faithfully and rightly uh, and clearly and in his power. Uh, and may he work in each of our hearts. Uh, may he enable us to see uh, what you are saying to each one of us. Uh, and may he give us hearts that are soft to respond to you. Uh, so we commit this time to you, Father. Uh, please work among us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we come to the conclusion of our series on the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, over 11 chapters. In these past few months, Solomon, the preacher, has been giving us wisdom. Uh, but, you may recall from our very first sermon on, uh, in this series, there is also someone else involved uh, in, this, uh, in this book. There is a frame narrator who is presenting Solomon's wisdom to us. Uh, that first diagram on your handout, the one that's almost impossible to read because the writing is so small, uh, it shows us, right? Let me take it, let me show it to you. Uh, you see it looks a bit like quay lapis uh, in the thing. There's a dark on the top and the bottom, uh, and the center there's a big, uh, 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 thicker, lighter part. Right? The top and the bottom, those are the words, the frame narrator in chapter 1, verse 1 to 11, and then here in the end, in chapter 12, verse 8 to 14. Uh, we think he's a frame narrator because he writes about the preacher in the third person. Um, uh, and the word in the middle, well, that's the preacher, uh, Solomon, and we'll hear about him a little bit more later. Ultimately, however, it is the Holy Spirit who is guiding both the preacher and the frame narrator, so that what we have here is indeed the Word of God. But we know that the revelation of God came step by step by step, by step, until finally the revelation is completed in Christ. Uh, and at this point, in progressive revelation, God hasn't told everything yet. And at this point, he hasn't yet told about the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Uh, there have been hints, but not been told concretely. And so as the preacher has been trying to make sense of life, he has been doing so from the perspective of life under the sun. Holy Spirit purposely limits himself in giving him wisdom for this life under the sun, uh, which, which points forward, though, to something else. Now, don't get me wrong. Life under the sun 
we saw already, is not life without God. God is the creator, the sustainer, the ruler of everything under the sun. He gives life, he gives food, he gives the power to enjoyment. All these things we've seen in Ecclesiastes. Life under the sun is not life without God, but it is life without consideration of the gospel. It is life without thinking about the resurrection. It doesn't deny it. In fact, we will see in a few minutes that Ecclesiastes drives us to it. But it doesn't presuppose it. Life under the sun is life as it is. If all you're looking at is cradle to grave. And the big thesis of the book that we've seen over and over again in these last few months is that life under the sun is vanity. The Hebrew word for vanity is habel. The word means meaningless, or you could say it's empty, or you could say fleeting, ephemeral, like the mist, which just, just cut, it's gone. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Life under the sun is, is vanity. And as we've looked at this book over the last few weeks, we've seen the preacher giving many reasons why life under the sun is vanity. Life under the sun is vanity, he says, because you'll eventually be forgotten. Your work will be forgotten. Everything about you will be forgotten. And the world will eventually go on as if you never existed. Life under the sun is vanity because there's so much injustice and oppression. The wicked get away with terrible things and the righteous suffer. Life under the sun is vanity because what happens to the fool in the end and what happens to the wise in the end is the same thing. In fact, what happens to a man in the end and what happens to a beast in the end is the same thing. They all die. Life under the sun is vanity, the preacher says, because you can be really wise and hardworking and then when you die, the person who gets to enjoy it all is a fool who didn't work for it. It is vanity, the preacher says, because the reason people work hard is because they envy their neighbor, and actually, ultimately, everyone's going to the same place, the grave. It is vanity because even if you do good with lots of wisdom, people will forget you anyway and not appreciate. It is vanity because you're never satisfied with money no matter how much you have. It is vanity because some people can have wealth but not the capacity to enjoy it. It is vanity because youth is fleeting and old age comes to haunt you in the end before you die. Life under the sun is vanity. That is what the preacher has been saying over and over again. And the preacher's also been addressing the question that arises from that. If life under the sun is vanity, what is the best way to live? How should we live under the sun? And over these weeks, we've seen four big things to learn in response. Number one, be wise. Don't ever think that being wise will save you from the havel, the vanity of this life. It won't. But it will teach you how to live in this havel world. And that includes working hard, relating carefully to those in authority, diversifying your investments, 
making bold decisions when necessary, controlling your anger. Be wise. Number two, enjoy life. Enjoy your food, your drink, your relationships, your work, because these are given by a good creator. Enjoy them with thanksgiving in your heart to him. Number three, know the limitations of wisdom. God has set things up so you can't know his plans and purposes through wisdom. You can't figure it out yourself. It's a deliberate thing. And so true wisdom recognizes its own limitations. And number four, fear God. Listen to him. Remember him. For somehow or other, he will bring everything into judgment. Be wise, enjoy life, know the limitations of wisdom, fear God in light of judgment. Well, that's a summary of what the preacher's been saying. And we finish reading the preacher's words now, but the frame narrator is about to give his summary and conclusion. So let's see what the frame narrator says at the end of the book. He actually gives two of these two big conclusions of the book uh, in verse 8, and then again in verse 13 to 14. Uh, and these are separated in verses 9 to 12, where he tells us how to think about the preacher and what he has said. Well, first of all, he summarizes the main point of the preacher in the same words that he used to start off the book in verse 8. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Right? And that's the same main point as we found in our summary just now, isn't it? That's the point, vanity. Now, the Frederick has already expanded on this in detail at the beginning of the book. So he's not going to add more to that now. He goes straight on to start speaking about the preacher and his teaching. And what he wants to do is affirm what the preacher is saying. He endorses the wisdom of the preacher. Verse 9, he says, Beside being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. This is right words what the preachers say. And of course, we know Solomon collected, he thought about, he wrote many proverbs with great skill, great attention, and these proverbs get, began to be collected with other proverbs together in the, in the book of Proverbs and in the wisdom literature of, of the Old Testament. And so the frame narrator says in verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads. Now, goads are like the sticks which prod the animals, right? So they, 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 they stir us to action. And then he changes the metaphor and he says, they are like nails, firmly fixed, are the collected sayings. They're meant to stick in the mind. You can remember them. And this collective wisdom comes from Solomon and the other wisdom writers of the Old Testament. But they're not just the human writers who wrote these wisdom books of Scripture. There's a, there's a divine author behind it all. And so at the end of verse 11, it says, they are given by one shepherd. God is the one who is ultimately responsible for these wisdom writings of the, of the Bible. They, they are part of God's word. Verse 12 reminds us about, well, warns us about all the other stuff. He says, my son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. You, you can read and write lots and lots and lots of books about wisdom. You'll never finish, 
Right? By the time you finish reading some books, more are published. And all the wisdom you need for, for living under the sun, actually, you can find it in here. Go and read Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job. You don't have to read everything to know how to live wisely under the sun. These, these are fine. And now we come to the last paragraph of Ecclesiastes. And here's where the frame narrator, he takes a turn at answering that big question that the preacher's been addressing. Given the fact that life under the sun is vanity, how should we live? What's the best way to live in this Hebel world? You remember when I summarized the preacher's answer to the question a few minutes ago? There were four main points. But the frame narrator is now interested in only one of them. Because that's the most important one for moving on. Verse 13 to 14. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing whether good or evil. Fear God and obey his commandments because God is going to bring everything into judgment. There's the conclusion. There's what the framework to say. This is it. Now, it's not a surprising conclusion, is it? Right? The fact that God is going to judge, well, the preacher's been saying that all along. But by making it the climax, the end point, the conclude, the last thing in this book, and omitting the other advice, what the frame narrator is doing is saying, out of all the advice that the preacher's given, this is the most important thing. This is the way to gain perspective on life under the sun. Life under the sun, yes, it is Havel. But, but, we are accountable to our Creator. And he will bring every deed into judgment. Man has a duty. This is the whole duty of man. You see, suddenly there is, there is meaning. We have a duty. We have been made by a creator. And not only have we been made, but we are accountable we are accountable at the end. God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And therefore, we need to fear God and obey Him. Friends, when we think about that and we realize that there really is a judgment, then suddenly, actually, life has meaning after all. We are created. We have a creator. Life under the sun is Habel, but judgment's coming. Judgment changes things. And yet, even judgment here is a bit vague, isn't it? We're not told how God's going to bring everything to judgment. Because if it's in this life under the sun, then, well, it doesn't really make sense. Because earlier on in Ecclesiastes, we read that sometimes the righteous get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked get what the righteous deserve, and... But that's vanity. So, so Ecclesiastes, without actually saying it, drives us to the conclusion that there must be more 
than life under the sun. We're forced to acknowledge that the world can't be all there is. There must be more so that God can bring everything to justice. And we don't know what that's like here because Ecclesiastes is just about life under the sun. But the book forces us to look further. And the book would have forced the pious Israelite who was reading it to keep on praying, keep on looking forward, keeping on waiting for the day when God would reveal more. And we'll be able to see how this judgment would be revealed. And of course, that prayer is answered in the person of Jesus. Jesus Christ is the true wisdom of God. Ecclesiastes says you can't figure out God's plans and purposes by wisdom. But in Jesus, God's wisdom is revealed. And now we know God's plans and purposes in him. He's a true wise man. He exemplifies all that Ecclesiastes has to say about wisdom. He feared God, kept his commandments. He remembered his father in the days of his youth. He lived the life of the wise man. And yet even though he was the wisest of men, he died the death of a fool. Yet this was not Hebel. It was not meaningless because in his death, Jesus took our sins and paid for them. By his death on the cross, taking the punishment in our place, he opened the way for sinners like you and me to be saved by a holy God and be reconciled to him. And we have access by his death to God the Father, not through our own wisdom or our own righteousness, but by fearing God, trusting in him. And this God whom we trust is the God who raised Jesus from the dead. And by raising him from the dead bodily, God has shown us ever so clearly that death is not the end. And the Apostle Paul put it this way in the sermon in Athens. It's in the box in the, in the, in the handout. That first box to the top at Acts 17. God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And you see, the thing that Ecclesiastes was pointing to the thing that you say, yes, it must be. Well, God has shown that it definitely is. God confirms that he will bring all things to judgment by raising his son from the dead. And that at the end of the day, there will be justice, even though the wicked seem to get away with things now. Jesus will judge the living and the dead on the day of resurrection. And justice will be done and be seen to have been done. And so, friends, we live in the now and the not yet. We live under the sun, but we also live in light of eternity. Life under the sun still is Hebel. So what do we do? Well, the first thing we do is we take those four pieces of the preacher's advice. Be wise. Be wise in the way you live in this world, how you relate to authority, diversifying investments, bold decisions, controlling, all those things. Be wise, but know that 
true wisdom only comes through Jesus. Secondly, enjoy life. Enjoy what God gives you. With thanksgiving in your heart to Him, still do that. Thirdly, still know the limitations of wisdom. And so turn to Jesus, because in Jesus, God's wisdom is revealed. And we know God's plans and purpose in Him. And most importantly, the number four, fear God. In everything, remember that you are accountable. You are accountable to God for everything you do. You will answer for everything on that last day. Fear God. That is good advice for living under the sun. But there is also another dimension which we need to consider. Because now we know that not everything is Hebel. Now there are many things that are Hebel. Wealth, fame, power, achievements, work. They're all Hebel. They're not bad things. Don't, don't confuse vanity with sin. They're not the same thing. Right? These things are part of God's creation to be embraced with thanksgiving, to be enjoyed, but they are ephemeral. They are fleeting. They're of no permanent worth. They're ultimately meaningless. Don't despise them because they're Hebel, but at the same time, don't idolize them. Enjoy them now under the sun as God's gift to you, but know that they won't last. Far more importantly, live for things that are not Hebel. What is not Hebel is what lasts for eternity. Live in light of eternity. What is not Hebel is your relationship with God. Love Him more than anything else. And obey Him. What is not Hebel is your labor in the Lord. Make the gospel and the kingdom your number one concern. My fellow believers, we know that Jesus rose from the dead. We know there is more to life than life under the sun. We know there is a new creation on the one hand and there is hell on the other. These are realities. And since these are realities, then what we do for the kingdom now has eternal value. Because everyone is going one way or the other. Whenever you share the gospel with someone, whenever you help your brother or sister persevere in the faith, whenever you do anything at all, even giving a cup of cold water for the sake of the kingdom, that is not meaningless. Because it's all part of helping someone come to Jesus or persevere in Jesus, who alone can save them from hell and give them a place in his glorious kingdom. It's all part of building that kingdom of God that lasts forever. And so the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, in the second box, he's been talking about resurrection. And he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor 
is not in vain. So press on in serving the Lord, brothers and sisters. Don't be discouraged that other people don't seem to notice. Being noticed is nice, but it's Hebel. Your labor in the Lord is not. Don't be discouraged that you're not getting much support or even facing opposition. Support, opposition there, Havel. It's hard. But your labor is not Havel. Don't be discouraged you're not seeing a lot of success in worldly terms. Success is good, but it's Havel. Your labor in the Lord is not. All the work you do for him really does count for eternity. Press on, sisters and brothers. And if you're someone here tonight who is not a believer, I'm so glad you're here. Please consider the wisdom of the Bible. If this life is all there is, then it is vanity. Life apart from judgment is meaningless. If there's no judgment, then just do whatever you like and die. Lah. doesn't matter. But if God does judge, then life does have meaning. You are accountable. What you do does matter. And yet, if God does judge, then you and I are in trouble because we haven't treated God properly and we don't treat other people properly. And if God does judge, then you and I would be on the wrong, wrong side of that judgment. The solution to the problem is not to put our head in the sand and go back to a, just an under-the-sun kind of perspective, but to turn to Jesus. The Lord Jesus who died on the cross to pay the punishment for our sins so that we can be forgiven. And the Lord Jesus who has been raised from the dead as the Lord of all. And so can I urge you, change the direction of your life by believing in Jesus. And believing in Jesus will not only free you from a life of meaninglessness, it will bring you forgiveness from the very judgment that makes things matter. Following and serving Jesus will give you a purpose to life that only he, as the resurrected Lord, can give. And so to everyone, let me say this. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all the wisdom that you have given us through this book of Ecclesiastes that we've received over these months. Thank you for these words of the preacher, of the frame narrator, 
that have taught us so many things. Thank you, Father, for giving us many blessings in this life. Please help us to receive them gratefully from you as our creator. But please help us not to try and find our meaning and purpose from, from those things which, which really are Havel. Instead, please help us to, to seek you, to love you, and to make our priority and goal to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. We know, Father, that you will bring every act into judgment, even things that are done in secret. So please help us to live day by day, moment by moment, with a proper fear of you, reverently trusting you, knowing that you are the God who, whom we are accountable to, but you're also the God who's shown your love to us by putting us right with yourself through the death of your son. Help us, Heavenly Father, to fear you, to love you, to trust you, and to live our lives for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.